And if you'll keep your book open to Philippians chapter 3, that'll be perfect, because that's our foundation passage for this morning. And I want to say just a few words of introduction. Invitation to be with you. It's a pleasure to join a group of uh, Christians in another place that you've not been before. And one of the uh, negatives for me is I didn't get to bring Marilyn with me. So I'm bringing greetings from my Marilyn. That's her name, my Marilyn. And she normally has come with me for a long, long time. But she's just not in that uh, good a shape right now to do that. It's not best for her. So I will tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about every one of you. You have a directory, right? I expect a copy. Because I want Marilyn to meet all of you as well so that we expand our family in Christ Jesus. And that's the way I look upon it. We're all in the family of Christ. And we're privileged to serve him together. And what a privilege just now to, with you, partake of his memorial that he told us to remember. And we do that every week because we don't ever want to forget who it is that we serve. So it's a great privilege today to speak to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, the older I get, the more humbling this responsibility gets for me. I suspect that's true of anybody that's preached for any length of time. It is a massive responsibility. So I want you to know that this morning I was on my knees asking God to please help me to say things that will stir our souls and that will be utterly true to what you have told us. Not to change one thing our God has said but to emphasize it in such a way that anybody who's a servant of his wants to do better. So please understand, this lesson's for me. If it helps you, that's great. I hope it will. I think there's much to be thought about here in Philippians chapter 3. So we turn our attention to verse 15 as our beginning place. Do I need to turn it? Okay. And as you can see, I've picked out of that passage the theme for the lesson this morning. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So, I want to talk this morning about have this mind. I want to talk about what that's saying in this passage and how it impacts me. Because I want the kind of mind that the Apostle Paul had that is described in this passage. And I think he's telling us that's what God wants of us. He wants us to have that kind of a mind. So my challenge to you as we begin is for you to look at yourself and say, Dear God, before you, is this the kind of mind that I have? And our lessons over the next two days are going to be to honor and glorify and magnify, make bigger in the minds of people, the God we serve. That's my goal for the next two nights. And creation most certainly does that in a way that's just magnificent. And in my mind, better than ever in the history of mankind, it's almost like the Lord God has opened up the floodgates and said, what are you going to do with this now as I show myself in the natural world. So I hope that comes across. 
my experience through my lifetime is that folks who do not believe in God have reasons for that other than just the natural world. A lot of times their reasons are psychological. They're background reasons. And in many cases, it's the experiences they've had with believers, I'm sorry to say. So I want to start this lesson with an example from my life. Marilyn and I and our son, Benjamin, moved to Romania in 1993. And we lived in Bucharest for two years. And part of the time we spent over in Constanza, which is a seacoast town on the coast of the Black Sea. It's the only big port of the whole country. It's where their navy is. And the Black Sea is their opening to the world. Well, it's also the home for merchant marines. So I'm not going to make this too extended a story, but there's a lot behind this. We went over there to teach the gospel in a brand new place where it had never been preached as far as we knew. And they had lived under communism for 25 years with one of the worst dictators on the earth, Nicolae Ceausescu, if you're familiar with your Romanian history, which you're probably not. Most people aren't. I met a young man during that stay. Because one of the privileges we had was to teach in a high school over there. We were teaching conversational English. But we were using the book of Luke to teach. And we told him up front that's why we were here, to teach the Bible. So if they'd let us use the book of Luke, we'd teach English for them. Well, in the course of that, we came across a lot of young people. And we met this young man who was a merchant marine. Merchant marines are gone most of the time. They're out on the oceans selling stuff. So he wasn't there very much. But this particular week, he was there the whole week, and I got to kind of collar him. And I had him to myself for a week. And we spent the whole week talking about evidences for God from the natural world. And he saw things he'd never seen before. You see, that boy had been taught from the time he was a little boy in the communist schools in Romania that not only was religion foolishness and belief in God was stupid, but it was dangerous. You may remember that Karl Marx said religion is the opiate of the people. And he wanted it stamped out. And we knew a brother in Bucharest very well, an older brother who was put into prison because he had in his possession a copy of the Bible. So it's real, beloved, how much the communists opposed God and religion. And for this young man, growing up in a village in Romania, he was it was pounded into his head, you will have nothing to do with religion. Even though that little village where he lived, like all of them, had a priest in town and a church building, and most of the people claimed allegiance to the Romanian Orthodox Church. But it sure didn't look like they believed anything. And when he began to see the evidence for God in the natural world, and how powerful that is. And then we took him to scripture and showed him how much God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten son. And he learned the story of Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. It was kind of overwhelming to him. And he had an open heart. But here's what he said. 
which is the point I want to make today. He said, Mr. Payne, I grew up around a bunch of people who said they believed in this Jesus. And if it's like you're telling me in Scripture, and one of the passages we returned here was to Philippians 3, which talks about what happened to Paul. He said, Paul changed his whole life. He stopped being who he was before, and he became a totally devoted servant from everything I'm reading here. He said, that's not what I have seen. He said, let me tell you what I've seen. The priest in my village who ran the whole church there was the biggest philanderer in town. In the Orthodox Church, priests are supposed to be married, unlike the Roman Catholic Church. So they were married. But everybody knew he was going around with other women in the, in the village. And they said, we also knew he was the town drunk. And this is the leader of the Orthodox Church in our village. Doesn't sound like he had this mind to me. And the people in the village, they would go on Sundays and they would, after church, go up to the front in the privacy of the confessional and they would get on their knees in front of this man and confess their sins, knowing all the while he was sinning worse than they were. And then they would proceed to go out into the town and could keep doing what they were doing all week long. And everybody knew it. So what is this? Have this mind. I haven't seen that. So may I say to you, Christian, that sometimes the greatest impairment to helping an atheist or an agnostic become a Christian is Christians, are supposed Christians, who don't live in any way like they have the mind of this man. In fact, they're an interference with it. And I'm so deeply sad about that. And I want to tell you, for me in my house, I don't want to be such a person. I hope you don't either. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, this is the kind of mind you should have. So let's go back now and let's look a little bit about what the Apostle Paul did. He was Saul of Tarsus, you remember. A devoted Jew. A firm believer in Judaism. Trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He even says it here earlier in this chapter, doesn't he? Verse 5, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. Folks, that was the strictest sect of the Jews. They wanted to do everything right according to the law. And then he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Saul of Tarsus wanted Christians killed. Acts chapter 8 says he was going about seeking them and having, their, having them thrown in prison and giving his consent to their death. That's the Saul of Tarsus. And he says it right here. Concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless, he was trying his best to be a devoted Jew 
And he thought Christianity was the worst thing that had come along. And so he wanted Christians killed until he learned that Jesus Christ was in fact the Son of God and became convinced of that. And look what happened to him. Verse 7. The things that were gained to me I counted loss for Christ. Indeed I've counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them or count them as rubbish. So can we get... That's the question I'm asking myself. He had a single-minded devotion. He said, in this world, there is not one other thing that matters to me like this one thing. The one thing. There's only one. And he proceeds to tell what that means in this passage. But I'm skipping down now. Verse 22, or 12. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So Christian, my question is, and I'm asking me, has Christ Jesus laid hold of you? You're under His control. He's the one. Paul said, nothing about my past is going to stop me. Did he have a past? Well, I should say, if you think the priest in Romanian Orthodox village was bad, how about a man who kills Christians? He had a past. But once he determined that Christ was the one whom he should follow, the past was not going to interfere for him, no matter what his past was. And what does he do instead? I do not count myself to have apprehended, verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting the things behind and reaching forward to that which is ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper I want me to have. And what does that look like? Well, I want to talk about that a little bit and try to explain a couple of things at least that will help us analyze ourselves in that regard. So the first question is, can I get such a vision? Is that possible for me? You say, well, he was an apostle. Christ appeared to him. He's not promised he's going to appear to me. So can I get that kind of mind? Well, I'm going to argue you can. And I'm going to base it on Ephesians. Let me back up here. Ephesians chapter 3. So let's go just a few pages back to Ephesians chapter 3. This is the same man, Paul, praying for you, beloved. Actually, it's a prayer for those Christians at Ephesus. But that rings down through the centuries. So I'm going to read his prayer beginning in verse 14. And may I ask you, all of you, to put your name in there, please. Verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without get such a Amen. So I ask you after that prayer, can we get such a mind? I say yes. God can do exceedingly abundantly of what we even imagine. We can become single-minded. The one thing has taken over our lives. You know, I was thinking this morning when we talked a little bit about the eunuch. The eunuch was an Ethiopian, probably a black man, who was a eunuch for the country as the treasurer. So I want to tell you just a little more background on him because he's a hero of mine. He worked for Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. You probably don't know, Candace is not her name. Candace is her title. Kind of like Pharaoh was the title of Egypt. Candace was the name of all their queens. And the tradition was in Ethiopia in the first century that their queen is a descendant of the queen of Sheba. You remember that one? from the Old Testament, who went to visit Solomon and said to Solomon, the half has not been told of your wisdom. And she was so entranced with him. Well, the Ethiopian tradition is that she ended up being one of Solomon's wives. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But you think that's possible? He only had, what, 300 wives and 700 concubines. So it is highly likely that one of those wives was the Queen of Sheba, and it is said she had a child. Like this is gum. Now, folks, I'm telling you all of that. This is fable from Ethiopia. Okay, don't take this as gospel truth, but it is the tradition in that country. And so Candace had a son by Solomon. That son came to be looked upon as a son of God in a very real sense. So the king of Ethiopia came to be like a king god. And you know that king gods don't do anything except be gods. And so guess who does all the work? Candace. And you say, what else is new at your house? Right? No, I'm kidding. But Candace became the one who was the daily, day-in-and-out ruler of that country while the king played God. That's the tradition in Ethiopia. So what did that make this man, this Ethiopian eunuch? First of all, if you were going to serve a queen, you became a eunuch. I'm not expanding upon that. But that's what you did if you are going to serve a queen. So he did that first in honor of his country, to serve his country in that capacity. Second, he became the highest manager for her in the country. And here's what I want you to think about. 
that's the man that got in a chariot and traveled 1,200 miles to go worship God in Jerusalem. You think there were a bunch of folks in Ethiopia that did that? I don't think so. This man was passionate for keeping the law of God as he understood it. So was Paul. And that's why on the way home from church, he's reading his Bible. And by the way, the very thing that he, the very idea that he had a Bible was incredible in that first century. He was very wealthy. To have a copy of the scriptures? Incredible. And on the way home in a chariot, he's reading it. I want to tell you, beloved, it kind of leads to my next point. Devoted, devoted to the God's word. That man wanted to know what God said. I'm asking you, Christian, is that your mind? Just be real with yourself. Passionate about the word. Be a eunuch like Ethiopian eunuch. And by the way, do you know what the next tradition is? The church of our Lord became very strong in the first century in Ethiopia. And I think I don't have a record of it in the Bible, but there's records of it. And I think I know who started that. This man was picked by God, handpicked to make sure the preacher got to him. And by the way, he didn't just send him the Holy Spirit. He sent him a preacher. I want to be that kind of person, don't you? Now I want you to turn to Matthew 4. Because our greatest example of all is not Paul. It's Jesus the Christ himself. And in Matthew 4 is a record of his temptations. And I'm not going to preach a lesson on the temptations. But I have one point to make about that. Matthew 4. Let me show you. After the first temptation, he answered in verse 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you have a cross-reference Bible, which by the way didn't exist in the early centuries, but it will tell you where that passage came from. It came from the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus the Master, while he was a human, quoted scripture to the devil. This was from Deuteronomy. May I pause here a moment? This passage is about the temptations of Jesus. It says he was tempted. James 1 says, God is not tempted. Neither does he tempt any man. So how is it Jesus is tempted? He's tempted as a man, not as God. God is not tempted. You cannot tempt God. Jesus was partaking of the human condition, like I am. Are you listening? So as a human, he was tempted. And what did he do about it? He quoted scripture to, to the devil. Next temptation. 
devil took him up on a high place, said, throw yourself off. Verse 7, Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Does your Bible tell you where that one's from? I think it's from Deuteronomy. And the third one, when he went up to the high mountain, said, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you all of this. Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You want to give three guesses where that one's from? <laughs> Jesus quoted three times to Satan from the book of Deuteronomy. Your favorite book in the Bible, right? The one you read all the time? Be honest with yourself. You probably haven't read it through once. Maybe you have. But do you think Deuteronomy was important to Jesus, my master? Well, it clearly was. It's part of the word of God. My point to you, beloved, is Jesus, while he was a human, was in extremely needy to use the word of God. When he faces the worst thing humans face, and that's Satan's temptations, which we give into all the time. How did he do that? He did it with the word. So I'll tell you, it'd be good to know enough about Deuteronomy to know how many things God has warned us about. And then I want you to turn to Acts 20. Because this is another passage from the same Apostle Paul about whom we're speaking tonight from Philippians, or this morning from Philippians chapter 3. In Acts 20, he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come meet him. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he wants to see him one more time. In fact, at the end of Acts 20, it says when he had said these things, in verse 36, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. It's probably the last time he's going to see them. And what did he say to him? Verse 29. I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn every one of you night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Listen, what's the last thing you're going to tell somebody with this kind of a mind? You're going to tell them you hang on to God and His Word. It's the only hope you have. So I'm asking you, is that my mind? I pray for congregations of saints who are so passionate about the word of God they can't get enough of it. They'll sit in a chariot and don't read while you're driving. But you can listen to it on a CD and fill your mind. You just can't get enough of it. And as important as that is, I think maybe this one's even. We need to spend time in secret. Let's go to Matthew 6. 
Jesus talking again. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, I've been teaching a long time. And I know you're not going to remember half of what I say. I'm not foolish. So if I can put two points in your mind and just nail it, so you never forget it, then it's been a successful time. So the first one is to get passionate about the Word of God. That's what this mind is about. Paul couldn't get enough. Neither could Jesus, my Lord, when he was a human and Jesus said, you get to a private place, you close the door by yourself. And you get with the God of heaven. And he who sees in secret will reward you openly. So my question is, you believe that with all your heart? If you truly did, what would that look like? Well, let me first ask you. Do you realize that God wants you to see him? That's incredible. There are four scriptures there that all teach the same thing. I'm going to go to Revelation 3, verse 20. So let's go to that one. It's Jesus talking again. This is addressed to the church at Laodicea. Could just as well be addressed to any other church. Like how about South Franklin? Not that you are like Laodicea. I'm not trying to say that. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's addressed to churches. So is that Christians? Yes. It's talking to me. And what does he say in verse 20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Do you know that means he's outside waiting to get in? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's the master of the universe. Folks, do you know who that is talking let me tell you who it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who are we talking to here? The Creator of the universe, whom we're going to magnify tomorrow night and the next night, God willing. And He is saying, I want to come into your room with you by yourself and have dinner with you. My question is, how many days did you turn that invitation down? I can confess for myself, way too many. It took me way too long to be convinced of the power of that. And how important that is. You want to be single-minded like Paul? You get by yourself with God every single day. And don't miss it. The Lord's trying to tell us something here. And may I add this to this presentation? You see those passages from the book of Luke? We're not going to have time to read all those. But I'll leave the slide if you want them. There's a bunch more besides the ones in Luke. Every one of those speaks to Jesus getting by himself to pray to God. 
Every one of them. Why would Jesus be getting by himself to pray? God doesn't need to pray, folks. Does he? What in the world would he pray for? No, he was praying as a human while he partook of the human experience. And in that condition, he regularly got by himself. So I say I'm a Christian. Do I follow my Lord in that way? Or not? I do want to look at a couple of these, just to highlight. So I'm going to go to Luke. And let's see, the first one I want to look at is 516. Luke 516. Because this is now, he's really busy in his personal ministry. And verse 16 says, So he often himself withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. You don't have to be in a room and close the door, but you do need to be alone. Get away from everybody. And that's what Jesus did. In chapter 6 and verse 18, or 12, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Now folks, there are not a lot of occasions where he spent all night praying, but he did that night. And you know what he did the next day? He called his disciples, and from the disciples he chose twelve, whom he named apostles. He prayed all night the night before he named the apostles. What about the important decisions in your life? How about spending all night in prayer to God before you make the most important decisions? I expect he spent two hours on Simon, don't you? <laughs> but he picked 12 men after he prayed all night. And then look at chapter 9. I like this one a lot. Chapter 9 and verse 18. It says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and asked him, saying, Who do the crowd say that? He asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? What I like about that is he was alone praying and his disciples joined him. That implies they knew where he was, doesn't it? Or at least they found him. So here's my question, Christian. If your wife or your husband can't find you, is one of the first things he or she thinks, oh, he's probably in his room praying. That's where I'll find him. Or it's 8 o'clock this morning, or it's 5.30 this morning, it's 6. I know where my husband's going to be at 6 o'clock. And may I get personal here? I will tell you for me, I can't go a day anymore. It's just not going to happen. That has to come first. Because the entire day means nothing if it hasn't been given to Jesus. I believe with all my heart that's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. Now it doesn't tell us how many, but I tell you what, when he says, I want to dine with you, I eat every day. I don't want to miss a single day of the opportunity to be alone with the God of heaven. And by the way, he's plenty able to get along with every one of us at the same time. No problem. 
but the secret place is life-changing. I hope I've said it. And then I pray for saints who will take the gospel to the whole world. Folks, the world is the field, not Franklin, Tennessee. Oh, Franklin's important, all right. But there isn't a person in Bucharest who knows where you are. And you probably can't find Bucharest on a map either, if you're like most Americans. I couldn't find Romania if my life depended on it back then. But we do need to broaden our vision, Christians. Did you know you can teach people from Franklin, Tennessee and China right now? You can. And there are people doing it. I expect some of you are doing it. I want to tell you a neat thing. I got to go back to Romania in the month of May for the first time in 15 years. And I went with Kerry Keenan. Some of you may know him. He's as evangelistic as anybody I know. But while we were in Constanza, Romania, he went out in the backyard of that little apartment building we were staying in with his computer and carried on a Zoom Bible class. And on that Zoom were two ladies in China, several folks in Tampa, Florida, and the rest of us in Romania, all studying the Bible at the same time. Christian, broaden your vision about teaching the gospel to the world. You said you were doing correspondence courses. You got some in other countries. God bless you. Every Christian in this church can be teaching somebody not only here, but somewhere else on earth. What am I going to say to the Lord when he says to me one day, I only opened the whole world to you. And you had the opportunity to teach Ernie Pivnik in Romania. I'm just saying, have this mind. And those who love one another as Christ loved us. That's another sermon and I'm not preaching that today. And I conclude with this wonderful statement in Philippians 3 verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And listen, if you're going to be a Christian, don't go half in. Isn't that what the church at Laodicea did? They were half in. They weren't on fire. They weren't cold and they weren't hot. And what did he say he'd do to them? Throw them up. No, get this mind. And so we don't ever want to leave an assembly like this without giving somebody the opportunity to obey the gospel. Where do you baptize people if they come? We have a reference. Good. Everything's in preparation if you want to become a Christian and you, like the eunuch, say, I want to be baptized into Christ. What would keep me from doing it? And the answer is nothing. We'd be delighted to hear you say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It's the most important confession you'll ever make. And we'd stop everything and make sure everything gets done. Because I'll tell you what Philip did not do with the eunuch. He did not say, come to Jerusalem next month and we'll have all the baptisms. That never happened in the Bible. They were instantaneous. So they got out of the chariot and he baptized him. And he went on his way rejoicing. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that can happen today? So you picked us off.
And I wanted to say this to you. This is a tradition, you know, that we stand up and sing a song and ask people to come. If you go to services in Bucharest, Romania, they don't do that, so don't have a heart attack. That is a tradition. It's not a requirement by God. But I love the tradition, don't you? Because it says if you're almost ready, we want to try to encourage you to come ahead and be, become a Christian. Or if you need the prayers, let's pray together. So let's stand and sing. 834. Thank <laughs> you.